Thank you, Nate. What a morning of worship it's already been today. Uh, thank you, church, for loving my family so much. It means um, the world to me that, that you all have embraced my children and my wife in the way that you have. Um, when we left you know, our, our last church, a big church with you know, wonderful programs for children, and we were concerned about wherever we went. We, we wanted our kids to be okay wherever we, what church we went to next. And our kids love it here at Woodmont because you love them. And that's evident to us, and we are forever grateful for all of the people who work with children in this church. Thank you for the work that you do, uh, choir, and for Sunday school, and preschool praise, and all that, that you do with our, our kids. It, as a, someone who has a vested interest in that, it means a lot. So thank you so much. It's been a uh, wonderful morning of worship. Thank you, Praise Band and, and Richard, for being so thoughtful and intentional, all that you do. Uh, but this morning, I, I want us to, uh, to look at this text that may be familiar to, to most of us. Jamie just referenced it in, in Matthew 22. Beautiful text that we are familiar with from the words of Jesus. But before we do that, I, I just want to mention, you know, I've had a lot of meetings lately as we start visioning about the, the next 75 years of Woodmont, what the next 75 years of this place are going to look like. We've been doing budget meetings with the finance committee and, and, and planning meetings with the personnel committee and and I asked the Deacon Action Council if we could get together last week on Monday because I, I'm going to be out the next two weeks with my school. It's my final residency at Lipscomb University as I finish up my, my doctoral degree. So they, they obliged me and they said, sure, we'll, we'll come Monday night on a short notice. And, and we had a great meeting. It was so exciting and a lot of unity there and, and, and great vision and great insight from these, these godly men and women on the Deacon Action Council. And after the meeting, I said, thank you for being here on short notice on a Monday night. And, and one of the, the, the deacons said, oh, it's no problem, football's over, so I, I'm free on Monday night. <laughs> he was kidding, of course, but uh, you know, I, I love Monday night football. I, I, I usually record it. It's always a fun break on Monday to be able to watch football. And uh, I used to record the pregame show, and Jude and I kind of had a little routine. We used to watch the pregame show Monday night before we went to bed, because they always had this funny segment called, come on, man, remember that? Come on, man. And we showed these bloopers from the day before, all these different you know, fumbles and, and funny plays that happened during the, the games from Sunday. And now, this year, they've changed it. They've, they've added this new segment called, You Had One Job. You Had One Job. And they show funny things from throughout the week, like when the, the Patriots guy spelled Patriots in the end zone instead of Patriots. Uh, or, when, when someone, uh, you know, forgot their helmet and they couldn't find their helmet before the, they were supposed to go in, you know, you had one job, just get your, your helmet on. And it's based on this, you know, internet meme that has gone viral over the last decade or so. You had one job. And so I, I asked Andy, if, if Andy Morris, our children's and media guy, he's in Atlanta today with his grandparents, Marie's grandparents, 75th uh, an, uh, birthday party, is that it? Yeah, not anniversary, that'd be crazy. Birthday party, <laughs> 75th birthday. Um, and he pulled these images, which I think are hilarious, of you had one job. So put a bench right in front of the wall. Come on. Not a good idea. Or the toilet over here. <laughs> toilet paper over here. You gotta take a little trip to get the toilet paper. Or yeah, that's gonna keep a lot of people out. That's really keeping people out. Or yeah, staircase to the ceiling. That's, that's great. That's a Fanta, lemon Fanta full of Coke there. Uh, you buy lemon coke. Oh, there you go. Thirst place. Where'd he go? You got thirst.
first place. Well done. Oh, that's a good way to cut pizza. Yeah, triangle right in the middle. Avoid the crust that way. That's, that's a good way to cut pizza. So here's the question for us today. What's, what's your one job? If you had one job, you better do it well, right? That's kind of the point of that whole internet meme. You had one job and you blew it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to blow my one job. I don't want to be the punchline on some internet meme where they say, Nathan, you had one job. So what's your job? If you're like me, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you have lots of jobs, right? I'm a, a husband to Morgan, which you just said, that, that's more important than, than my, my church job. I'm a father to Jude and May and Isaiah. I'm also a student. Like I said, I'm going to be out the next two weeks studying and growing and learning about ministry as I pursue a ministry degree. I'm also a friend to those that I'm privileged to do life with as, as cohorts and brothers and sisters. I'm also a disciple of Christ. You could argue that's my most important job. I'm also a mentor to younger people. I'm a, I'm a teacher of sorts. I'm a counselor. I just got to do some marriage counseling with Jared and Amy last Wednesday night. It's so fun. I'm also a, you know, amateur landscaper. I have to take care of my yard. I have to fix up my house. I installed a new faucet after like hours and hours a couple weeks ago. All these things are my, my job, right? I'm, I'm responsible as well for my physical health and my emotional well-being and my spiritual growth as I pursue Christ daily. So what's my, what's my one job? What's your one job? What's your primary task in this life on this planet? We need to know what our one job is so we don't end up as an internet meme. Our text today is about the one job that God has for us, that Jesus Christ gave us himself in Matthew 22. It's one of the most important texts in the whole Bible. And during this season of our church's life where we're trying to plan budgets and move into the future of our church, I know the finance committee is meeting today after church. You can pray for us as we figure out how to budget into 2017, 2018 that we, we figure out what's our primary task? What are, what are we to be really about at our core? What's the most important thing that we do here? I was trying to make that point in a, a staff meeting a, a few months ago and, and Lil Cook, one of our ministry assistants, she's in Birmingham today with her daughter and her, her grandkids. She said, we need a major on the majors. And, and that stuck with me. It's not about the programs, right? It's about the people. It's about souls. It's about investing in the community and being a blessing and being present here. We need to major on the majors and not get bogged down in just the, the minute details that tend to take up a lot of our time, right? Major on the majors. I keep thinking about that. It keeps coming back up in my mind. Let's see what Jesus Christ said are the majors, okay? In Matthew 22, this is, this is our one job. These are the majors that he has for us. Why don't we stand this morning out of respect for God's holy word? As we read this together, Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, you've got to watch those lawyers, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. That sounds familiar, like we may have just heard that recently. This is the great and first commandment. 
And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. You know, let's get some context on this passage. Last week, we said that that by this point in Matthew, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem for the last time. He's already come in on a donkey while the crowd shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they laid down palm branches. And these are the same people that just a few days later would be crying out, crucify, crucify. That in, in that short amount of time that he's in Jerusalem, he managed to stir up enough trouble that the people would betray him and turn him over to the authorities to be condemned and crucified as a criminal. And we talked about last week about the urgency, therefore, in Jesus' message. While he's teaching in Jerusalem, he knows that his time is short. So he's giving these brief, succinct, vitally, crucially important messages here in the end of Matthew. And here he's teaching again in the temple courts where all the Jewish leaders had gathered and they would argue about the law and they would debate each other about which laws mattered the most. And, and they taught other people there in the temple courts. And we know last week we talked about how these Jewish leaders had twisted what God requires and twisted the kingdom of God into this system of do's and don'ts, right? Thou shalt and thou shalt not. They, they thought it was all about following the rules in order to be good enough that God would accept you, that you could gain eternal life. And Jesus said, no, that's putting a burden on people. I came to tell them that the kingdom of God is a party. The kingdom of God is, is wherever God's will and his reign and his rule are done as, uh, on earth as they are in heaven. Where that happens, it's a party. When that happens, there is thriving when, when we live in the ways of God and His kingdom, there is flourishing, there is shalom as God intended for it to be. That's the, the teaching that gets Him in trouble, isn't it? He's turning everything that these guys are saying up on its head. So all these different groups of, of Jewish leaders are, are trying to trap Jesus. They're, they're asking Him all these gotcha questions, you know, these lawyers especially, right? These lawyers are saying, so, hey, Jesus, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar or no? Let's see what he says about this one. And then they ask him, hey, what about the resurrection? Will we still be married or will that change, huh? Tell us what you think about that. And Jesus, you know, this is his word. This is his, it's not like he's a scholar of the Bible. He is the Bible. He's the living embodiment of the ways of God. They're not going to trap him on his word because he is the word. He is the logos. He is the ways of God fully revealed. So he just keeps dropping truth bombs on them, just left and right. And they're just amazed. Their minds are constantly blown. He's, he's just silencing them with his divine authority and the way that he proclaims both truth and grace. Truth and grace to these people as one with authority because he is God in the flesh who's teaching about his own word. So they don't get it, and they keep trying to trap him. And this time it says a lawyer asked him the question, which is the greatest commandment? Not in an honest effort to understand which is the most important commandment, but it says in the text here, he was testing him. We should know better than to test Christ, right? They don't get it. You know that there are 613 commandments that the the Jewish people have identified in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible. 
We're right in the thick of it right now in Leviticus, if you're following along with our reading plan. I don't know if you read uh, yesterday's uh, beautiful passage from Leviticus 13 about skin diseases, but it's, it's very moving. Um, <laughs> it says, uh, you know, if, if, if this is white on your skin, then you need to do this to it. And if it's red, then you should do this to it. And if it's yellow, and so on and so forth. Don't eat it before a meal. That's, it'll ruin your breakfast. Don't, yeah. And, and some people were, were amazed by, Mike Whittle said this morning about, uh, he said, I, you know, I can't imagine what the stench would have been like in the temple, because so much of the sacrificial system is about where to throw the blood. Just throwing it all over the place. Calvin was saying, you know, these priests dress up in these beautiful garments, got the ephod and the jewels and the breastplate and everything, and then what do they, what do, they do? Throw blood all over them. <laughs> Calvin said, seriously, you think he just hung up his bloody robe and put it on the next day? It must smell horrible. It's, it's not an easy read, Leviticus, right? It seems like a lot of these laws are, are, are strange and brutal and talks about the fatty portions and what to do with the livers and all this stuff of the animals that you, you slay, but of, of all these laws and rules that are in here, you know, the rabbis would divide them into two categories, basically. They would take some like skin diseases and they would put them in what they called the lighter commandments. And then they would take other commandments that were weightier. So they had heavy and light commandments. And it wasn't that you couldn't ignore the lighter ones, you still had to do them all, but some were more important than others. Weightier laws. So the lawyer's asking this question to Jesus about what's the weightiest law? What's the heaviest law in the entire Torah? And no matter what Jesus answers, the, the lawyer's picking a fight. The lawyer knows he can, he can argue whatever Jesus says. My mom used to say that I'd argue with the fence post. I don't know where she gets that from. But these lawyers were like that. They could argue with anything that Jesus said. So they were picking a fight. They were ready for, for Jesus to, to try to bring something that they could argue against. And they're probably expecting him to give them one of the Ten Commandments as, as one of the answers. The Ten Commandments were kind of elevated in, in Jewish thought. They were thought to have been written by the finger of God himself on Mount Sinai into the, the tablets. But as usual, in the classic way of Jesus, he surprises them. He gives them the most basic, most obvious answer. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's the Shema, of course, the Shema. You know, the Shema is, is the most basic verse in all of Jewish thought and commandments. The Shema is this passage. Shema means here, and it means here, the, the Shema is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, I think we have it on the screens. Deuteronomy 6, Richard just read it. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, the Lord is one. Orthodox Jews still to this day, would, they would did this for thousands of years. They recite the Shema every morning when they wake up and every evening before they go to bed. They say the Shema to remind them that the most important thing to do is to love God. God wants it to be on their hearts constantly. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. It's, it's basically the core verse of the entire Judeo-Christian tradition. The Lord is one. It's monotheism. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the commandment that God told his people to think about constantly. Richard just read this 
where it says in, in the following verses in chapter 6, verse 6, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children, Nathan and Morgan, and everyone else. We'll talk of them when you sit in your house. How often do you talk about the Lord and loving God in your home? Talk about them when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is why Jewish people wore, wore the phylacteries. You know what those phylacteries are? They're these little leather boxes. They'd put them on their arm and they'd wrap a leather cord around their arm. And they'd, they'd put it on their forehead. It was a leather box. And you know what was written inside the box? Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ehad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It was to be on their arms and on their minds constantly. So they wore these, they're called tefillin in Hebrew. My friend, Rabbi Flip from Congregation Micah down in, in Brentwood, we've been to his home a few times, Morgan and I, he's got Shema printed, just the S, the M, and the A, like kind of from the Hebrew, um, on the doorpost of his home. Literally, the little bronze Shema on all the doorposts of his house. Everywhere, every room has a Shema uh, on the doorpost of all of his house to remind them that this house is covered by the love of the Lord. This is the way we live here, is the love of the Lord. And then he doesn't stop there. Jesus says, I got another one for you. Here's a free bonus commandment for you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We, we hear that and we say, that sounds like a real New Testament kind of idea. Loving others as you love yourself. Of course Jesus would have said that. That sounds like a real New Testament kind of thing. But we need to remember that the, the New Testament does not trump the Old Testament, right? The New Testament doesn't replace the Old Testament. Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The New Testament doesn't replace the Old. It, it, it completes the Old Testament. It may seem right now like Leviticus is a crazy book full of weird rules and gross skin diseases and stuff, but if, if you look closely at Leviticus, you can see the heart of God in it, right? It, that God loves us, that he desires for us, his people, to be holy as he is holy, to be set apart, to be consecrated for his good purposes in the world for which he created us to live into. And, and this means that he wants us to see people as he sees people. And that's in Leviticus 2. We're not there yet, but next week. Leviticus 19 shows us that all people are beloved creatures of God. And that God wants us to see them, that they are all made in his very image. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This makes sense, right? That this would be the second commandment after the Shema that Jesus would give to the Pharisees who are asking him this question because if you love God completely and fully with your whole heart and soul and mind, then you will also see people as God sees them, right? And you will love your neighbor as yourself. You know, 1 John 4, verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. You can't say, I love God, but I hate that guy. You can't do that. Because if you really love the Lord your God, you will also love your neighbor. They have to go together. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. 
So the obvious question then in this second commandment is, so who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Someone else asked that question in the Bible, right? In, in Luke chapter 10, it was another lawyer. But this guy seems a little more uh, sincere. He seems a little more honest and humble. He wants to know. He asked Jesus, so who's my neighbor? And you know what leads up to that. This, this guy approaches Jesus and he wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you're a lawyer. You tell me. How do you read the law? What does it say? And he says, oh, yeah, I know what the law says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, nailed it. Good. Great answer. Go and do it. And the lawyer says, so who is my neighbor? And you know what Jesus' response is, right? The story of the good Samaritan. It's clear from Scripture, both the Old and New Testament, that Jesus is expanding his view of neighbor to be much more broad than what we typically think it means, right? It's true that, that our neighbors are the people who may physically live next to us, which may be really, really hard to love uh, in your case, but it's also much bigger than that. It's much broader than that. Neighbor means much more than the people who are like you. It means more than the people that you identify with. Leviticus actually makes the same point a few verses later in chapter 19. Look at verses 33 and 34. I think they'll be on the screen. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I know I've seen this verse maybe misused to maybe beat some people over the heads on social media recently, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but I am trying to make a biblical statement that the Lord says that our neighbor has to include more than the people that are just like us. Jesus is referencing this part of Leviticus when he's answering the Pharisees. When he's saying that we must love others as we love ourselves, he, he means more than just our neighbors. He's including every human being that we encounter. Every person that you come in contact with bears the image of God into a lost and broken world. They are therefore worthy of God's love and yours as well. And there's another aspect in this commandment too. It says, as yourself, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Self-love. Love for self. John Piper, the, the pastor in Minneapolis, says that every human at a base level shares this trait that Jesus is talking about here, self-love. It's, it's this inherent desire to thrive, right? It's this inherent desire to increase your happiness and to diminish your pain. And, and if you go to that base level definition, it's true that all humans share this desire. But I know some of you here today may not love yourself right now in the way that, that you think. And maybe today you need to make a renewed commitment to loving yourself as well as loving your neighbor. They're obviously connected, aren't they? How can you love your neighbor well if you don't love yourself well, first and foremost? How can you care for your neighbor if you don't care for yourself? Loving your neighbor and loving yourself are deeply intertwined. You know, it's crazy to me, too, that in Luke chapter 10, the lawyer replies the way that he replies when Jesus says, hey, good answer, love God, love people, go and do it. And he says, who's my neighbor? You know what I think he should have said? You know what I think a more appropriate question would have been instead of who's my neighbor? I think he should have said, how? 
How in the world can I do that? I, I've tried to love God with my whole heart, but my heart's torn between the things of this world and the things of God. How can I love God with all my, my soul, the thing that, that animates me and moves me into doing and being things? I, I can't, God. I find my soul moving me in other directions. How can I love God with all my mind when my thoughts are filled with so many worldly and, and awful things? I think that would have been an honest answer. How? How can I do these things? Because you can read these two commandments, and if you're like me, you say, how? How in the world can I love my neighbor as I love myself? I'm selfish. I look out for myself far more than I do others around me. How can we do that? Do you think about him all day long? I don't. Do you worship God all day long? Do you desire him more than anything else? I hope so, but often we don't. You know, the, the how question reminds us, if he, had, if, he, if he had said how to Jesus, I think Jesus would have smiled and said, okay, now you're getting it. Now you're close to the kingdom of God. You know, Romans 8, verses 3 and 4 says this, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. While we're never capable of loving God holistically with all of our mind, body, and soul, Jesus was. While we could never do it perfectly, Jesus did. So what the law couldn't do, make us right with God, Jesus did. Jesus loved God with his whole heart and soul and mind so that when we don't, we're covered by his grace and mercy. So Morgan and I took a little trip to Memphis this weekend just as a little Valentine's getaway. It was kind of a Christmas present. We saw the Warriors and the Grizzlies play on Friday night. It was amazing in Memphis. And of course, when you go to Memphis, people always talk about Rendezvous Barbecue, right? You got to get some ribs from, from, from Rendezvous. And uh, you know, there's no menus at Rendezvous. How many of y'all eaten at Rendezvous before? Oh yeah, it's awesome. You leave smelling like it, it's fantastic. They don't give you menus when you go to Rendezvous. They're, they're under the glass on the tabletop, and there's not a whole lot of options on the menu. But right in the middle of the menu, it says main things, ribs. It's ribs. That's it. Big or small, that's the main thing. It's what Rendezvous is known for. It's what people go there for. It's what people talk about at Rendezvous. It's, it's their main thing. For us as Christians... Our main thing is clear, to love God and to love others. It all comes down to love for Christians. That's the main thing. That's our one job. That's majoring. We remember to love God and love people and, and not get lost. I can't, but knowing that Jesus Christ has done it for us, then we live into God's kingdom in the way that Jesus would have us to go. This has been. For more information about the programs and people of Woodmont, please call 615 297 5303 or visit us on the web. And major on the majors. What's most important in your life? What's the most important thing for you to do right now? Love God and love people. Everything else that you need to do is going to fall into place if you will keep those two commandments as frontlets between your eyes, if you will bind them to your arm, 
May we teach them diligently to our children, Morgan, and other parents. May we talk about the Lord when we sit down in our homes and when we lie down and when we rise. May we talk about the commandments to love God and love others constantly throughout our day as we have them as remembrances between our eyes and on our arms. May our homes and our doorways be marked by these commandments to live in this way. And may we always remember that it's Jesus Christ alone who enables us to love God and to love others as he has shown us how to do it without any condemnation and without fear. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that you have shown us your word. We thank you that Jesus has given us our one job. God, we don't want to fail our one job. We don't want to be featured on you had one job. We want to major on the majors well. God, it's so easy to get lost in the minutia of this life. We get bogged down with, with little details that really don't matter in the long run. What matters is that we love you, that we truly worship you from a heart that desires you. God, I pray that if there's anyone here today who may have a cold heart towards you today, who may not love you right now, that you would engender a warm heart of love for you, a heart that desires you, longs for you, that yearns for your presence in their lives, that loves you with our whole heart and whole soul and whole mind, that we would think about you constantly, talk about you in our homes. And then, God, enable us to love others as you have loved us, as we love ourselves. May we look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. May we consider others as more significant than ourselves. It's only by your grace and mercy that we can do that, Lord. If we're honest, we all fail at these two commandments, God. We thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ, who has done it for us. We love you and we pray this all in your high and your holy name. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.